Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. This is Tuvia Kopstein, and in this episode, we get to meet Nahum Kligman, the CEO of the tech startup Book Like a Boss. And in this conversation, we'll talk about Nahum's career of entrepreneurship, of successes and of failures, and what it takes to be an entrepreneur, and also the insight that he has as an observant Jew into priorities and into entrepreneurship and into the concept of bitachon, of trusting God. And we hope that you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did interviewing Nahum. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. And we are thrilled today to have Nahum Kligman from Israel as our guest today. Nahum, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. So Nahum, I know about you that you have a, uh, you're an entrepreneur and you have a very interesting a service that a technology software service that you've that you've set up called book like a boss tell us your story tell us how what you where you started from and and how you got to what you're doing now and, and what you're doing now well how, how far back do you want to go because uh let's go way back let's go way back way back so yeah. I, i've always been entrepreneurial I, you know i was that kid that was uh shoveling snow for you know five dollars a driveway ten dollars a uh you know five dollars sidewalk ten dollars a driveway you know, as a kid, I would, you know, I had a candy locker in high school that uh, was closed down because I was making more money than the teachers. Uh, I was selling baseball cards and doing trade shows in my early teens. Wow. Um, this this so, was in the New York area? Yeah, New Jersey. I'm from originally okay. Pacific, New Jersey. Okay, got it. And um, yeah, I was, you know, always looking for ways to earn some income and, and um you know, obviously, as I got older, you know, the project projects got a little bit bigger. Uh, I've done so many things. I had a restaurant in Jerusalem. Uh, I did catering. I, uh, you know, I, a lot of businesses in between. But it wasn't until, you know, I got married where I started, uh, you know, doing uh, larger projects and with a lot more potential, you know, definitely focusing on the high tech world, internet world. Uh, I had an instant messaging company back in early 2002, where we were an instant messenger that had a built-in affiliate program I created. I was the first one to put an RSS feed inside an affiliate program, inside an instant messenger. Um, I was, we had, you know, we were, uh, I mean, that's a long story, but before Facebook even got going, I, you know, I wanted to uh, create an instant messenger into a, a social media company actually left the company because my partners didn't want to get into social media uh, into, and I said, um, not social media, into, into um, creating um, what they call uh, social, uh, a social platform. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, this is the way of the future. And if we're not going to go that way, then I'm leaving. And I ended up leaving the company. And then I started another company back in 2005, which uh, focused on turning video into a, a selling tool where people were thinking about how do we monetize video with pre-roll, post-roll, mid-roll videos. I was looking at using video as a selling tool. And actually, I have four patents. Uh, well, the company owns them, but there are four patents in my name for putting video overlays on top of a video. Um, 
Can you, can you explain? I'm just not, I'm not so techno, technologically adept, but what does that mean? A video as a selling tool? Yeah. Well, I meant using, instead of videos, putting commercials, but using video, like bringing home shopping network or QVC onto the internet. So you'll watch a video and then there'll be call to actions on the video, buy this product now or learn more or sign up for it. And so we actually came up with the technology to put uh, these e-commerce features on top of a video uh, on your screen. So you can click the video. Yeah. You, you click on click, the video. Click, click on the link. Yeah. Click on the link on the video or click out of the form mm-hmm. or click the buy now button. Which is, uh, which is standard now. This is happening. Now it's standard, but this is back yeah. in 2005. I mean, okay. Uh, okay. you know, mm-hmm. it was, uh, first to come up with that idea. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I did that for about five years, left that company, had a few other smaller projects in between, uh, but then I decided to get into manufacturing apparel. Um, this is, I guess, back in 2003, uh, 2013. Um, and it was, I have a special needs uh, son and I wanted to create clothing that was adaptable for him. Uh, and so, like I said, how hard is it to create clothing? You know, everybody wears them and, you know, China is full of manufacturing, uh, but it was a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> And uh, I spent about two years building the company and trying everything I, I could to get it off off the ground and get it to work. But through some unscrupulous um, uh, uh, investors and manufacturing in China was a nightmare. They screwed up our orders and it was just a nightmare. After two years, I was forced to close the company. Um, and then after I closed it back in 2015, I said, you know what, let me take a break from starting a company because... When you start a business, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. It takes a lot out of you. And uh, I said, you know, I had a book I wanted to write, which I wrote called The uh, From Entrepreneur, uh, which is available on Amazon. And that was like a book about entrepreneurship, but looking through the lens of a Orthodox Jew. Uh, So that that was a a lot of fun. And then I I started doing uh, consulting. I had a podcast. I was probably the first Jewish, first from podcaster, uh, the outside of uh, giving over Torah lectures, but from a, you know, I, I was interviewing um, other Jewish uh, Orthodox entrepreneurs and hearing their story. And so I had the book and then I was doing coaching. And what happened was, is that people would, because of the success of the book and the podcast, people are reaching out to me all the time saying, hey, can I pick your brain? Can I take you out for a cup of coffee? Can I buy you lunch? And I was like, well, I charge for my time. Oh, how much do you charge? $250 an hour. Oh, well, what does that include? It, there was a lot of back and forth wasted time. And I found myself wishing that there was a way that when someone said, hey, can I pick your brain? Can I meet with you? I'd say, I'd send them one link. And that link would have everything they need to know about me in order to form a decision to book me or not and a way to pay me. That way there was no, you know, something, a page that had testimonials, had my calendar, had the different services I offer, what they included, frequently asked questions, everything you needed, and it didn't exist. There was no such platform. Of course, there was calendar apps, but I wanted something that had everything and that was easy and looked good and mobile, et cetera. Um, I tried building on a WordPress, and that failed miserably. And so I, was, I went to WordPress developer, and he wanted about $3,000 to build the site. I said, forget it. And about a few weeks later, a friend of mine, uh, Rabbi Dan Roth, his sister uh, from TorahLive.com, uh, um, his sister was a masseuse. And she wrote him an email and said, hey, you know, is there an easy way that a I masseuse. can... A masseuse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Is there an easy way where I could, uh, you know, just a one page website that says, these are the different massages I offer. Here's my calendar. Let people book and pay for it all from one page. And he sent it to me. And then that's when the, this, that's when the, uh, the bells went off my head. I said, wait a second. If I, as a business coach has this need, here's a masseuse that has this need, an easy way to get online and selling services. I said, with the gig economy and side hustling, I, I bet there's a big need for an easy way to sell services online. Uh, so I pitched the idea to a good friend of mine, David Yudkowitz, who I'd worked with previously on other projects, and uh, he loved the idea. And in the end of uh, bless you, and in the end of 2007, uh, 2015, we decided to start building it, and uh, that's how Book Like a Boss came. Uh, that's how the idea and, and how it came to fruition. And you know, seven years later, now we have over sixty thousand users in over wow. hundred countries. Wow. Um, sure enough, people really needed this solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is this offer? I know that the probably your chief competitor and and lesser lesser lower level of technology is is Calendly. So what is what are you offering that's that's a higher level and more specific than Calendly? Sure. So we don't look at Calendly as a competitor. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, but people when they hear oh your booking system, they they bring up Calendly because they're the billion dollar uh, gorilla. But we actually have a website, notcalendly.com, where we go through over 30 different ways how we're different than them. Okay. Like Calendly was meant to be a booking calendar. We're meant to be able to sell services. Mm-hmm. So like with us, we give you unlimited customizable booking pages uh, that can be customized with your brand, your colors. Again, everything we talk about, frequently asked questions, testimonials, none of these things Calendly has. And with us also, if you're not, a, if you're not time-based, if you, for example, you do logo design, Right, you don't need a calendar-based system, but you can still use us to sell your your uh, your logo design services or your web design services or any other thing in the service industry. And we actually have over ten different types of booking pages you could create with us, uh, where you could get paid for for what you do. Uh, so also, but we people do use us. For, we do um, have you know uh, you know ninety five percent of Calendly's features. And so people use, do use us just for booking appointments. People from companies like Amazon, Twitter, um, uh, Land's End. I mean, there's a lot of big companies that use us. A lot of universities use us mm-hmm. uh, for just for booking meetings, not for necessarily selling anything. Because, you know, people like to, you know, you get a Calendly page and it's boring. There's nothing there. There's nothing to know about the person. But book like a boss pages, right? There's personality. You can put up a video. You could... Uh, see pictures. You could, uh, you know, get a feel of the person that you're going to meet with, and people like to do business with those that they know, like, and trust. And we bring that, uh, we bring that to our users. Amazing. Okay, sounds very worthwhile. <laughs> now, I I want to ask you. You said that you you have written a book and you had a podcast that was exploring the fr- the Froom entrepreneur, the Torah observant entrepreneur. So I'm sure that many of our listeners are wondering. What is different between the Froom entrepreneur and the entrepreneur who is just no no titles? What what are this? What are the unique challenges that somebody who is Torah observant has, or the advantages that that what such a person has when it comes to being an entrepreneur? Great question. And you know, the book goes through a lot of that, but I think the biggest thing, and I think it's an advantage, is that when you're you know as an Orthodox Jew we know that our success is not in our hands, right? We have something called hishtadlut, which means effort. We have to put in the effort. We have to put in the time. We have to, 
you know, use our knowledge and skills to do the best we can in whatever it is that we're building. But at the same time, success is not in our hands. On Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, God decides how much we're going to make and how much we're going to be compensated uh, for the coming year, right? So if you work, you know, you may have the attitude in the, uh, you know, in the non-religious uh, world that the harder I work, the more money you make. That's not necessarily true in the Jewish world, in the Torah, in the Orthodox world, right? You don't have to, you know, if if your family is important to you, it's important to spend time with your family. Putting an extra hour into your business and missing your kid's birthday party is not going to, uh, you know, bring you more success, right? That and also you have no fear of competition. Like you brought up Calendly. Obviously, we don't fear Calendly. We don't fear anybody because, and even there's times that if we have a customer that is looking for a feature that we don't have, we'll tell them which company to go to that has that feature, right? Because we don't fear our competitors because we know that they have no effect on how successful we're going to be. And I think that's the greatest mindset change that you have. You're always happy. You're always more relaxed because you know that you're you're living a world where the success is ultimately not up to you. So much of the book explores that aspect, the aspect of trust and and, and knowledge, knowing that that your business is you're running your business with with God in charge. Yeah, it's. I'd say there's two aspects. There's, you know, a lot of it is stories in my personal history and things that I've done and. The outlook and um, uh, how do you say the um, Ashkafa? How do you say Ashkafa? And uh, outlook. I think outlook. The Torah outlook. The Torah outlook on what it means to be an Orthodox Jewish business person, right? Or entrepreneur. At the same time, there's a lot of practical advice as well, um, which which makes up the whole middle of the book. Uh-huh. Things that I've learned, you know, from being an entrepreneur for 25 years, uh, and the lessons I've learned, and how to put them into play. So it's a real combination of the two. Okay. Did you ever go into college with a uh, with a uh, career track in mind, or were you all, when you talk about entrepreneurs, a lot of times entrepreneurs are just they had a business idea and they and they went for it and they they just skipped out on the whole college thing. Yeah, I was I was not a believer in, in college. Um, I as a matter of fact, I dropped out of high school. Oh. Um, and I took my uh, I have to get, yeah after getting kicked out of three of them. Uh, okay. And then uh, I did, though, get my GED, and I enrolled myself in college. So while my friends were in their senior years of high school, I was already in uh, college, my first semester of college. Uh, you know, through a long story, I ended up leaving uh, college to go to Israel for a year. But it, instead of a year, it ended up being five years. That's, that's a whole other story. Uh, but I'm a big believer in learning by doing, right? And th- that's the best education is to dive in. Have no fear, go for it, and uh, learn by doing. Like you, you'll learn a lot more in four years of starting a business and running it than you will learning getting an MBA in, uh, you know, in college, right? It's just the the when you experience things and, and are out there in the world, they have a profound effect on 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 really, you know, who you are and 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 as an entrepreneur and and the the uh, the learning that you do from that is invaluable. So if you know if someone's going to spend hundred thousand dollars in four years of college, it's better to take the hundred thousand dollars, put it into starting a business, and really getting your hands dirty and learning uh, learning through doing. Okay. So and all of the things that you've done so far, the catering, restaurants, the baseball cards or trading cards in general, and and what you're doing now, and the prom entrepreneur and the consulting, what what do you find the most satisfying? What have you found the most the most satisfying and interesting? 
Um, in what way? Because it personally, in a personal in way? In a personal way, yeah. Listen, being an entrepreneur is awesome, especially in the, you know, as an Orthodox Jew, we get a lot of holidays, right? And I, you know, being a business owner, I never have to tell somebody, hey, I'm not coming in because of this holiday, or I have to leave early on Fridays because, you know, Shabbat is coming, right? Because I'm the owner, right? I, I make those decisions. If I want to go to my kids' uh, school, uh, you know, assembly, I could do that because I don't have to listen to anybody telling me that you can't do that, right? And that, I think that's one of the most attractive, I mean, listen, entrepreneurship is hard. It's not for everybody. And it's not something a lot, I believe you have to be born as an entrepreneur. It's not something you can really be taught because the sacrifices you need to make, uh, the patience you need to have, the, you know, the being able to deal with the ups and downs and the responsibilities of employees and investors or, you know, your workers and family, it, it's, it's not easy, right? But the benefits of being able to make your own decisions and how you want to live your life and not having to answer to anybody, you know, in a business standpoint, um, to me, the, the, you know, the benefits far outweigh the, uh, the negatives of it. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us uh, a personal example, maybe from your book or maybe something that's happened since you wrote your book about how, how you exemplify this, this, this all-encompassing trust and how it plays out in your business, this, this, this trust in God that, that God, will, God sets your, the amount that you're going to make every year and you don't have to push yourself beyond in order to get what, what's coming to you anyway. Sure, I, I have a great story. One of my favorites. Um, it Is it was, in the book? I think it's in the book. Yeah, okay. uh, it's in the book. Okay. Um, this was with my video company um, called. Uh, it was called Kuf originally, and then became Vubix, uh, the video overlay company, commerce company. It was early in the company, and we were running out of funding. And there is a Jewish law that you have to pay people. You have to pay workers on time, right? Someone works, you got to pay them. And we were in a and we were in a situation that the holiday of Sukkot was coming, and we basically didn't have enough money to run. We were out of money a week after Sukkot, and um, so my a couple of my partners said to me, "Hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't pay salaries, so that this way we'll have more money. Give buy us another month to raise more money uh, past Sukkot." Um, and I said, no, I said, you know, we, we work, we have to get paid. That's the law. And we need this money for your know, holiday expenses. And I said, not only that, but there's something called Chol Hamoid, right? Which means the intermediate days of Yontif, right? Sukkot in, in Israel, seven days in, 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 uh, Chutzlar, it's outside of Israel. It's eight days, right? But the first days and the last days are, uh, full Yom Tovim, which means you're not allowed to do any type of work. Whereas there's something called Cholamoy, the intermediate days, where you are allowed to, to do things like drive, you could, uh, um, you know, you could go places, you could buy things that you need. It's not as uh, strict as the regular days, but I'm a big believer that you're not allowed to, you're not supposed to work on Cholamoy. Now, there are exceptions, depending on your, on your personal situation, and, you know, Torah law does allow you to, if you're working with someone else, you may have to work. But I told my partners, I said, not only... Are we not going to, are we're going to pay people. We're also not going to work at all during Cholomoyd. No emails to potential investors, no follow-up emails. The only thing we'll do is customer support um, because, you, you know, you don't have to lose business. And I said, but we're all going to enjoy the holiday. And then after the holiday's over, then we'll worry about raising money. And they looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> you know, 
Bernie told him we're out of money a week after the holiday. I said, I don't care. That's that. I'm the CEO. That's what we're doing. So we got paid. Um, we had a great holiday. Two days after the holiday, um, we made a phone call to a potential investor who loved what we were doing. And he wired $500,000 over the next day. Wow. And uh, with, a, with like a, just a, a one-page agreement. And, um, and that was enough for the next week, right? Yeah, that was enough, <laughs> enough to keep us going for a year <laughs> at the time. And we were able to raise more money, you know, after that. But, uh, you know, it showed, you know, you put your faith in God and you try to follow the rules the best you can. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that investor, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I know you're not in that industry anymore, but I'm hoping that investor was, was able to recoup and, and, and make a profit. Um, actually, no, he lost a lot of money. Oh, (laughs) I left the company, uh, after five years and the company continued for additional five years. Mm -hmm. They went in a way that, um, I was not in favor of, Mm -hmm. um, plus this particular investor. Yeah. I don't want to speak bad about about investors and mistakes they made, but, um, he ended up, unfortunately he ended up losing his money, even though the company exited, uh, exited after 10 years, we were bought out. But he himself uh, uh, lost money. But uh, whatever. Again, uh, it's a deeper story. Not for now. Okay. Okay. Not for now. <laughs> Not everything has a good ending. But right. that was that was in terms of your company. That's exactly what you needed, and that that was a result of your trust. And everything. If you do if you do what's what you're supposed to do, then then you'll be okay. Right. <laughs> and and again, even where the rest of the world we say, "Are you nuts? You're you're oh, you have no more money left." You know, technically, you could send some emails. You could do it. I was very strong in the holidays, the holiday, put our faith in God and we will be successful. And again, you know, just two days later after the holiday, we, we raised $500,000. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Okay. So is there, what do you think is the biggest asset to the success and an entrepreneur's success? What, what, what skill set and mindset does it take to, uh, you, you talked about patience. You talked about, um, well, what else is there? <laughs> I would say, I would say, you know, the biggest um, success that I've seen, again, ultimate success comes from God. But in order to be an, an entrepreneur, you have to have a lack of fear, right? And that was something that I always had, I, I guess, since I was young, since I was about uh, 11, 12 years old, it, I had this um, attitude and like a fearless attitude that I had no fear. I would, no problem jumping into things, starting things. Um, and just going for it because I didn't really care what other people thought about me. If you're going to live your life caring about what other people think, you're never, you're not going to be living your life. Right. And so I had this attitude that like, okay, so, you know, I don't care what people think I'm going to go and I'm going to do. And, you know, where there's a lot of naysayers out there because a lot of people say, ah, oh, you know, who are you to start a company or you're not good enough or you, you didn't go, you didn't finish high school or, you know, it didn't bother me. Those, those things like, you know, brushed off. I had an idea. I was passionate about it. And you just go for it and do it and not worry about what other people are going to say. Um, that helps also with public speaking with, with uh, you know, doing a podcast like you're doing, right? If you're so worried about what people are going to say or think, you're never going to go out and do it. So I think having a, you know, not having a fear of what other people think um, is, is definitely a, a trait and, and a skill set that you need to, you, you know, you need to have in order to be a successful entrepreneur. That's something you had, you said you had that always. Is that something you had to work on and develop or it's something that, that you just had? 
No, so it's funny. I had what happened was I, I, I I'll go a little bit to a personal story if I may. Sure. Um, you know, I was uh, bullied as a kid, as a young kid, and you know, I was always this nice, sweet kid up until I was about eleven years old. Um, one time, this uh, this bully um, beat me up, and I came into my house crying. And I guess yeah, I, was, I think I was eleven. And my bubby, my, my, my father's mother was there and she said to me something that was so profound that um, changed my life. And she said, hit him back. And I was like, what? I'm a, I could hit him back? I'm allowed to? I don't have to sit there and be beaten? And it just, it changed my mindset. And the next time the bully started up with me, I started pounding him. I started beating him up. I started punching back and, and hitting him back. And when we were done, he said to me, what took you so long? <laughs> and, it, and there was an incredible empowerment that I felt. And I said, wait, I could, I could make my own decisions. I could have control. I could do what I want to do when I want to do how I want to. Now this got me into a lot of trouble in my teens, especially with my parents and aforementioned three high schools that I got kicked out of, right? This attitude of who are you, or you can't tell me what to do, or why do I have to live my life? Now, again, I wasn't always um, as ultra-Orthodox as I am today, right? So I didn't have this fear of God back in those days, you know, that I... But just just to clarify that, because yeah. because the people listening might have, don't have context, I don't have context. Um, you you were always, so to, so to speak, quote-unquote, Orthodox, but just you weren't you weren't fully... What, what was so it? I was, so I was brought up modern, which means that there was, it was more traditional. And we, you know, there were, you know, we, we kept Shabbat, we kept uh, Kashrut, you know, we had the, the holidays, but, you know, there was no, I didn't have the, the spiritual feelings of connection to God. Oh. I didn't, I didn't know that learning Torah was the important, most important mitzvah. I didn't know it was a mitzvah at all, you know, growing up. And and not not only is it the most important, not only is it a mitzvah, it's the most important mitzvah, right? There was a lot of things that I was shocked that when I went ended up going to Israel for um, for a year of education, I, there were so many things I learned. And I was shocked that they said, "Hey, how was I brought up eighteen years in a orthodox way?" And there were things I just never knew. I didn't know there was a bracha, a blessing that you say when you're coming out of the bathroom. Right. And it sh- and a lot of things shocked me that that these are things I just did not know growing up. Um, and so when I, I but I did take off a year, I remember when I was um, 16, I was not happy. And I said to God, I said, listen, I believe in you. I said, but I'm not happy. I'm going to take off a year of being religious, meaning I'm not going to keep Shabbat anymore or or kashrut, even though I didn't, I never ate, uh, you know, not non-kosher meat, but I would eat non-kosher pizza. I would get tuna subs. You know, I, I ended up going to the movies on Shabbat and, the, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, out of the watchful eyes of my parents and family, you know, um, and I said, I'm going to take off a year to see if I'm any happier. And after 12 months, I went and again, I spoke to God. I said, I got to be honest, I'm not any happier. <laughs> And uh, I said, but you know what? I'm going to Israel for the year. And this was the summer. It was my 17th birthday. And I said, I'm going to Israel. And I said, I'll, I'll come back to you when, you know, when I get to Israel. And um, sure enough, that's what happened. I, I ended up going to Israel. And 
all these beautiful truths hit me in the face and all these things that I just didn't have an idea about. And the, the, you know, it was never, it was sort of like growing up, you accepted that there's a God and you accepted that, you know, you have these laws and stuff, but there was, I didn't know any proofs. I didn't, wasn't even looking for proofs. When I got to Israel, I, I realized, I, I learned how with a hundred percent certainty that not only does God exist, but that the Torah was given by God. And when that proof was hitting me beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was absolutely no question that the Torah was true and it was given by God, it hit me and said, well, if that's the case, if then I have to follow that Torah. And so then I spent the next six months in intensive learning, trying to learn everything I could, all the different laws and, and, and worked on my relationship uh, with, with God. Um, and, you know, just uh, that, that, that first year ended up becoming five years in Israel. Uh, but it was a very intense, uh, tense year of my life and one of the most important years of my life. Wow. Okay. So now bring this, bring this back, back to where you were when you were 11 years old and, and you decided you learned that you could fight back and that. Right. Was, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I had this, so I had this attitude of, um, you know, who are you to tell me what to do? And so that, that didn't work well with my parents. It didn't work well with my teachers. It didn't work well with, you know, I, I worked, uh, I worked for a friend of mine who had a, um, like a kosher grocery store in, in, in Passaic, like the first one, uh, first one Passaic called the Makolet, my friend Hillel. And I remember I asked him, uh, you know, it, it was very hard for me to do what he told me to do because even though he's paying me, I felt like he still shouldn't, didn't have a right to tell me what to do. <laughs> so, so it was an interesting mix. Good, it was a good thing that he's a good friend and still a really close friend of mine today. But I remember one day I asked him for a raise. I felt I deserved more money. And he said he couldn't do it. Uh, so I said, okay, so I'm only going to work 45 minutes out of every hour. And so for 15 minutes out of every hour, I would just sit and do nothing. <laughs> and uh, obviously that didn't work, work well. And I ended up, you know, getting fired from that job. And, you know, it was very, you know, I think he was one person I worked for. I worked for the local pizza place when the very first pizza place that opened up in Passaic, the first summer they were open, I worked for them. And uh, I think I had one other job once um for about when i first got married my in-laws were you know were like maybe you should get a job <laughs> so i did that for about uh four months that didn't work and that was it i just i just i just couldn't live my life having someone tell me when i have to be at work when i could leave what i have to do what it just i just couldn't handle it um and so uh you know the life of you know entrepreneurship was the only you know only way for me to to, to live you know, I didn't have any other choice, uh, you know, because because I had to now it happens to me when I became more religious, uh, more orthodox. I realized, oh, wait, I do have to listen to God. I do have to be respectful to my parents. You know, it calmed me down a lot. And um, to your employers, yeah, right? <laughs> well, so I, I still couldn't be employed. I still couldn't handle working for someone else to make them money. Um, but, you know, I, I did realize that, you know, it's there, there are people above me that I have to respect and listen to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's a happy combination though. I get to live my life as an entrepreneur, but I still, you know, have my relationship with God, which is, you know, the most important uh, thing in my life. Next question. I, as an entrepreneur, I know that you, you, you mentioned dealing with investors and to deal with investors, as far as I understand, you, you usually have to prove the concept, right? You have to show that I'm, I'm a person who's able to, to, bring this to fruition, bring my idea 
and execute it and, and make it successful and give and earn your money back and earn your profit. So uh, do you always like ha- are, are people relying on you? Your the investors that they go to, are they relying on you because they trust you as a person or are they really looking at the at the paper and the, and the numbers and what you actually produced in the past? Right. So it's a combination. Obviously, it, it's, it's 90% who you are and the 10% the idea. Right. And listen, losing investors money is never easy to deal with. And again, 80% of the companies that I, I'm sorry, 80% of companies that are founded um, are, are uh, you know, don't, don't succeed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, to be successful is, is you know, is, is a challenge as we, as we know, uh, you got to put your, again, you got to put your best foot forward, et cetera. But with investors, you know, I made some mistakes in the past, like in, in some of my earlier companies, I was very hyped up about it. And it was before the companies made money. And, um, but I was a very good speaker. I was a very good marketer and I was very confident in myself. You know, I didn't do anything wrong per se, but, you know, I, I really believed that this was going to be the next greatest thing. And I made those mistakes. And as a matter of fact, when I started Book Like a Boss, you know, I, I took all the mistakes I made in previous companies. I said, I'm not going to make those again. And we didn't take any investments until we were already making money. Until we have, it wasn't just based on ideas. It was, it was uh, o- only after customers were paying us and I proved that the idea worked. That was the first time we considered taking money. And we also, we turned down taking money a lot. We've been bootstrapped pretty much for seven years. We have taken um, three quarters of a million dollars from friends and family over the last seven years, but we pretty much have tried to stay bootstrapped um, and not take uh, not take money. And, and investors that I have today are all you know friends or family. And as a matter of fact, one of my investors is somebody that invested. This is the third time he invested in me. The first two times he lost money, but he still invested in this third time because he believed in me and believed in me as an entrepreneur. And I believe it was just a matter of time before. Uh, you know, we'd he'd see we'd see that real success, and you know, thankfully, all these ideas and all the mistakes I made in previous companies that I didn't do for Book Like a Boss, uh, Book Like a Boss has been by far our, our you know my greatest success uh, to date. Okay, so um, so when you say bootstrapped, I'm just curious, does that mean you you invest your own finances into it, or you bar or you borrow in order to make it work, or you borrow from a bank does. as opposed to investors? Yeah. Right. So it, it, bootstrap means that you're trying to do as much as you can without taking any money from anyone else. Uh, so the, for example, the first year and a half, um, my partners and I, we didn't take any salaries. Mm-hmm. So we were just putting in our, our, our time and effort um, and weren't getting compensated for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we did that for a year and a half. And that was a very hard year and a half because, you know, you know, one of my partners, you know, is, is a developer. And so he was, putting half days into book like a boss and half days into developing. So you can still make money. Another one of my partners was, was doing design. Um, and so he would do design for other clients and then he would do design for us. But me, I start companies, right? So yeah. it was, very, so it was a very hard year and a half for me because I wasn't going to start another company while I'm starting this one. Um, and, you know, sometimes it gets brutal. You know, I talk about in my, in the book, I talk about a story, how, I once had to sell my wife's engagement ring just to put food on the table, um, you know, and, and for one of my earlier companies. And um, it's not easy, the life of entrepreneurship. There's ups and downs and there's a lot of challenges and you have to be really, uh, I, I call it um, uh, a pacifist in order to start a company. 
you know, because uh, you have to deal with a, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of challenges. Um, and it's not, it's not for the faint of heart that, that that's for sure. And I mean, just, I just mentioned my wife I mean that there's no, I would have no success without her having so much. She never once, and you know, we're married. Uh, I better get this right. Was it 23 years now? Okay. And um, through all the ups and downs to the times when, you know, electricity was shut off to the times that we've been very successful. She never once told me I should get a job. She's always believed in me and she's always been my biggest backbone, my biggest supporter, my biggest believer. And, you know, having, you know, having a spouse like that is, you know, invaluable when it comes to being an entrepreneur, having, you know, significant other that, that believes in you to that extent and, and realizes who you are um, is just, uh, you know, I wouldn't be successful without her. Wow. Okay. Sounds like a great relationship. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I definitely got the better part of that deal. <laughs> now, once, once you mentioned your wife, I want to know as, as an entrepreneur, when you're starting something like, like you're describing starting with a year and a half without salaries and I imagine that involves a lot of long days. How do you successfully manage the amount of time you give to your family? You probably have kids, maybe grandkids now. No, uh, no grandkids just yet. Okay. I do have okay. nine kids. Okay. My nine oldest, kids. Nine kids. Yeah. My yeah. oldest is twenty-two, and my youngest is about a, uh, a year and a couple of months. Okay. Um, so, so how do you find that? How do you strike the right balance between making sure you're doing what you can to make sh- to to help the company p- company be successful and and giving your family you, what they need as a father and a husband? Yeah. So in my earlier years, especially. Um, uh, when, I, when we first made Aliyah, I moved to Israel and, and my, you know, the instant messaging company, uh, which, uh, which I founded, co-founded in 2002, I was putting in crazy hours. I was literally putting in 14 to 16 hours a day, uh, trying to get off the ground. And my, you know, one of my partners was with me all the way on it. it we were both insane. <laughs> and, um, you know, we put really put in crazy amount of hours and had a crazy, you know, did not have such a great effect on my family, but you know, they understood why I was doing it and how to do it. I've, I've mellowed out a lot since then, um, you know, trying to put things and in, uh, rules in, into play. You know, I have my time. I, I, I learn every morning. So I have my, my Talmud uh, learning I do every morning with a, pro, a special program, um, you know, and I make sure that I'm home, you know, at dinner time to, to be with the kids. Of course, I have Shabbat and the holidays. And, you know, I definitely... Um, I definitely now, as I've gotten older, have uh, learned to trust God more and put in less hours and spend more money, uh, more time with uh, with my family. Uh, I just I just posted this quote. It was from um, I think the CEO of Google, current CEO of Google, who said, "In life, you have five balls: right, work, family, spirituality, um, uh, and there were a couple others. Family." I said, he said the first, he says, he says, one of the, he said, he says, your work ball is made of rubber. The other four balls are made of glass. If you bounce your, your work ball, you know, you'll, sometimes it'll go up and it'll go down. He says, but if you break any of the other balls, they're going to be lasting scars. And, and it's true. I mean, I remember one time I was speaking, I was, uh, I was in uh, California. I was speaking at Microsoft um, as part of a, of a, of a big tour I did, um, at the time, you know, my, my company was considered one, well, the number one internet company in Israel. And uh, so I was speaking at Microsoft on my day of this my... Was, anim- this was the video company? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
And uh, I was speaking at uh, at a conference, uh, and uh, it was my anniversary. It was the you know, and I it was live streamed. Even back then, it was live streamed. And so my wife was watching back in Israel, and I you know I shouted out you know happy anniversary you know to her. Um, you know, so it's tough. There's, there's definitely challenges, but uh, now I do try to put family first when I can. Um, and uh, you know, especially uh, Sh- Shabbat is uh, always most welcome day of the week i can't get enough of it and you know you have to put your priorities in order yeah you know family god and family is first and uh you know business has to has to always come second to that looking looking back at your career up until this point is there anything you wish that you would have done differently um i i don't really have any regrets I have very little regrets in my life because everything I've done has led me to where I am to, today. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, you know, if I have to look, you know, in, in terms of, of, uh, of business, you know, one of my companies where I sort of, I, I, earlier on, I didn't believe in myself. My previous two big high-tech startups, I didn't believe in myself, even though I, I was the idea guy and, um, you know, the visionary behind it. But you did I a good job, and you did a good job of selling it. You hyped it up. I, think it was selling it. I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't believe in myself enough, and I let myself get pushed over by other people that did not have my own best interests in mind. Um, and really, I should have. And that was one of the mistakes I made in the past, where you know I'm not, I'm not doing with with this company. Um, you know, I, with my partner, I, I have the greatest partner in the world with Book Like the Boss, and we were very clear from the beginning what his responsibility and roles are, and where. He has a decision-making and I was very clear and where mine would be. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to put myself in that situation again. Uh, and we both were, were in agreement of that where other people are going to, can have an effect on the decision-making of the company that we're going to make decisions together, but on specific areas, we would each make those decisions. So I do have regrets that I didn't believe in myself strong enough. And unfortunately those two companies ended up folding and closing, um, because I believe they didn't follow my vision and my ideas and I wasn't strong enough to, to fight back against it. Um, but other than that, but even those, you know, obviously everything led to where I am today. So I can't really complain, you know, thank God, you know, I guess, as I mentioned, this company is, is, is doing very well. And, um, you know, and I learned a lot from the, from my previous mistakes. It's, they're not mistakes if you don't, uh, if you end up learning from them, right? The only mistakes if you don't learn from them. Um, other than that, I don't really have, uh, much, re- uh, much regrets in, in, as far as, uh, my business career. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. Now the final question that I have, unless there's something that you wanted to touch upon that I didn't ask is, um, since, since a, a lot of our listeners are the, the students of the podcast fellowship, and these are students that are growing up their, their, their Jewish education is, is maybe, um, conservative and reform up until bar mitzvah, and then and then usually it stops, or maybe even less than that because they, maybe they don't have any Jewish education. So a lot of what you're saying is probably is, is probably sounds foreign. You're talking about trust in God, and they they might be, not be sure about God, and they might be sure about Torah, or no or no much. So what would you what, what advice? What piece of advice would you give to a, a young Jewish adult, either a college student or young professional, um, in terms of um, you know, being being a Jew in the world and uh, and what it means and, and what could, what what could you tell? What could you say? <laughs> we always have to realize, and this is something I, I did not know um, growing up, and that is why are we in this world? 
why are we in this world? It was a question that I didn't have answered until later in life. And it's the first question that I taught all my kids. If you ask from the time they're able to speak, I taught them why they're in this world. Because I want them to, to know what their purpose is in being here. Right? It's not, we're not here to make money, to become famous. Right? That's not something you could take with you to the grave. It's not something you could take with you into the world after. If you're not holding by that stage yet of understanding why you're here, you need to ask yourself that question. And if you don't yet believe in God, you have to yourself, well, you know, you have to do this, do the search, you know, and the first place to search, I know a lot of people, a lot of times they go, they go to India, they go to different places, start at home. You know, as a Jew, you have a rich history that is older than any other religion, right? You have a rich, as a matter of fact, the other religions were based on Judaism, the two main other religions, Christianity and, and Islam, right? They don't deny God giving the Torah to the Jews. They say afterwards there were changes, whatever, that's for another uh, another episode, right? But we have this rich, beautiful history of, of the Jewish people for thousands of years. Look into it. There are answers to your questions, right? I think it's pretty obvious that there's a God, you know, you can't, you know, that there's a creator, you know, it's impossible to, you know, if you really, anybody who's, who's honest with themselves, it's impossible to think that this all happened uh, from nothing, you know, this is, it's just impossible. So, but seek it out and seek it. Hey, this, this Torah, this, 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 you know, was it really given by God? And the answers are out there, but search and then, but don't be scared of the answer, it, it, you know, enhance it, enrich with it, be enriched by it and look for it and find out the questions because that's what really matters. It doesn't matter how much money you have at the end of the day, how many houses you have, how many cars you have, or what watch you wear or, you know, or anything like that. It, these things are just really not important. What's important is realizing that, hey, I'm a beautiful person. I was created by God and I was created for a reason. What's that reason? Why am I here? And never start, never stop seeking the truth. Never be, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And, and, and you have, we all have limited time in this world. Let's take advantage of that and find out really what, why are we here? What was, what is the purpose of being here? And uh, seek out the answers and never stop seeking out those answers. Okay. That's a great way. A great, great note to end on. Thank you very much, Nahum. We really appreciate your sharing your time, your experience and your wisdom. And my I pleasure, think, my honor. I think that many will gain from this conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay. Be well and be successful. We should hear good, good things from Book book Like a Boss and, and every project that you ever undertake. Amen. <laughs> You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.